Welcome to Goat Valley Campgrounds. Looking for a place to escape your busy life and reconnect with nature? Goat Valley Campgrounds features 300 acres of quiet forest and peaceful scenery for you to enjoy. Come meet Kate. She runs the place like her parents before her. We know you'll enjoy your stay as long as you behave yourself and follow the rules. Your survival depends on it. The No Sleep Podcast presents Goat Valley Campgrounds by Bonnie Quinn. Chapter 2 Have you ever heard of those stories where someone encounters a bear while hiking through the woods? Usually has the same pointers throughout. They're traipsing along, feet thudding through the underbrush, not a care in the world, and maybe even a song on their lips. But then they hear a snap, a little bit too loud. The sound of low breathing that comes right before that most terrifying gruff noise that comes from a hungry agitated 600-pound bear that has just seen you and is making a beeline for its next meal. These people often tout how they make themselves bigger than they appear. Maybe the braver ones use bear mace before they get their shit kicked in, and very, very few walk away with no major damage to remind them of their unfortunate brush with the great outdoors. I hate those stories. It gives a false sense of confidence to wayward travelers that they'll always have a way out if they just use their heads and follow the rules. Sometimes the rules don't care what you want. Sometimes things just happen. You know what other stories I hate? Disappearances. You know, the kind where a real outdoorsman goes hiking with some buddies, maybe veers off just a tad, but has his gun strewn across his shoulder like a badge of honor. A sound cuts through the forest that none of them can place, and then, gone. No clothes, no boots, no weapon, just banished. Stranger still when they turn up six miles later with barely any clothing and a foot missing, right? It's the lack of answers that scares us. The way we'll never know what happened. Why the bear let the victim live when it could have easily clamped on their skull but didn't. Why the seasoned outdoorsman vanished with no trace or threat. Why people still decide, after all this time, to risk the dancers. And what the dancers do to them when they make that grave error. My name is Kate. This is Goat Valley Campgrounds. Every morning I take a four-wheeler out and circle the grounds before most people are awake. There are some benefits to being an early riser. Solitude, seeing the sunrise, finding the human torso lying in the middle of the road before anyone else. Yes, the torso. Just the torso. While this isn't a regular occurrence, it certainly isn't an unusual one either. I took out the large black trash bags from the back of the four-wheeler and edged the body in. I tied it shut, put another bag around it, and tied it again. Then I dragged it off the road and parked the four-wheeler so that it blocked the ditch and hopefully obscured the fact there was a body just lying there to anyone that happened to pass by. 
The blood was fresh enough that I could wash it off into the dirt with the couple gallons of water I carried for this specific purpose. Now, I understand that some of you may be astonished that I would clean up the scene of a violent death without first contacting the police. However, my family has an understanding with the police. The campground is important around here. Brings a lot of people in, and during the peak of summer, we double the county's population. They spend a lot of money on local businesses. A lot of money. See, this is a small town. There's a bit of farmland, a general store, a restaurant, and not much else. During the big events, the population of the campground dwarfs the population of the town. We've become its economic lifeblood. I took over managing the site when I was 21. I'd been in my last year of college, finishing up a business degree with a minor in horticulture. The campground was staffed in part by my extended family, but its ownership passed only to direct descendants. My life was planned out from birth, and so my degree choice was deliberate. I believe my parents would have supported whatever I chose to major in, so long as I took ownership of the campground. But I've loved this place my whole life and wanted to prepare myself to be the best steward I could. I never finished college. I regret that some days. I don't need a degree to do my job, but I think it would have been nice to have. There's an empty spot on my office wall. My parents had cleared it before they died so they could hang my diploma there in preparation for when I took over management. I can't bring myself to put anything else up in its place. Everyone that manages the campground dies badly, including my parents. It was the start of the spring semester when my mother forgot to close a window. My father woke in the middle of the night to find the little girl sitting in the mangled ruins of my mom's abdomen. Enraged, he seized the girl by her hair and dragged her out the back door and into the yard. She shrieked, she pleaded, but he couldn't be swayed. He threw her to the beast and after it was finished with her, it turned on him. The police found his hand. That was all they found of my dad. There were no witnesses, but I know what happened that night because I dreamed of it. It was a true dream. If you've ever had a true dream, you know they feel different and you know you can trust them. I trust them as much as I trust the body in front of me is most assuredly dead and was the victim of the dancers. Rule number four. If you see a group of people dancing in a circle around a fire, you may join them. If they welcome you in, dance with them until the music ends. Do not look at the musicians. If they do not welcome you in, but instead stop and stare, back away slowly and then leave. If they follow you, you can try to run, but it's likely already too late. Pray that death comes swiftly. Even with our understanding with the police, I still need to notify them when there's been a death on our property. They help with the paperwork, and paperwork helps stave off any larger investigation into missing people. I called them up and then radioed my staff. I'd only found the torso, after all. That meant there were two legs, two arms, and a head yet to be found. And I had no idea how many pieces those parts were in. The dancers have a vicious sense of humor. While my staff scoured the woods for the remaining bits, I could deal with the police. The camp roads are barely wide enough for vehicles. We encourage people not to drive on them other than to load or unload camping gear. I heard it coming slowly along the gravel road, and my heart sank as soon as it slid into view. It was Sheriff Sabota. He swung himself out of the car in one fluid movement, sunlight flashing off his belt buckle. He's not a particularly tall man, only has a few inches of height on me which I feel annoys him deeply when he's trying to look intimidating, 
He wears his gun prominently on his hip and his hand often rests close to the grip. He's never without the tight-fitting cowboy hat that's popular around here among law enforcement and people that drive pickup trucks. We don't do cowboy boots, though. We're not that far south. Got a body for you. This campground never produces anything else. I feel that's rather unfair, considering we produce a significant amount of the town's revenue, but my relationship with the sheriff has never been a fair one. He's hated me since the day he took office. Ran on a platform of cooperation and went back on that the instant they handed him the badge. Not much can be done about it, though. No one wants to run against him. Not after the old sheriff vanished the way he did. Anyone else see the body? Nah, still early in the camping season. Not many campers down here in the deep woods. Then how did this person die? (laughs) I know you've never had fun in your life, but sometimes my campers like to wander around the campground looking for parties to crash. And sometimes they see a bonfire and go to investigate, and that takes them down into the deep woods. Don't be condescending, Kate. I can't help it. It's my default nature. Anyway, there's these people that are down in the deep woods. We call them the dancers. They've always got a party going. There's beer, there's dancing, there's music. And we get campers that'll try to join them, and sometimes they get away with it. And the dancers let them join in, and they share their alcohol. Or sometimes they dismember the poor soul and leave them strewn across my campground. So it's something unnatural, then? It usually is. Your family has produced its own share of bodies around here, you know? Unfortunately, I can't disagree. Grandpa wasn't the most pleasant person, and my parents had their share of victims as well. Sometimes people do dangerous, stupid things where these inhuman things are concerned and have to be dealt with. We don't make bargains with evil things around here. That's the unspoken rule, and taking care of those that do usually falls to my family. (laughs) We don't dismember people. And yet, you're still responsible for this mess. I forced a polite smile. Sabota was part of a vocal minority of townsfolk that believed the campground was responsible for the presence of these inhuman things, rather than just being the place where they resided. I don't know what they expect from us. We're human, dealing with literal monsters. There's not a lot I can actually do, other than give everyone a copy of the rules and hope people follow them. Sheriff Sabota untied the trash bags and took a quick look at the body inside. Mercifully, the corpse was still fresh that it hadn't started to smell of decay. Just the sour, meaty smell of early death. Ugh, limbs were severed methodically. Gonna make it hard to look like an animal attack. <sighs> All right, where's the rest of it? We're still looking. Well, find it then, before someone else does. We carried the body to the trunk of his car for transport to the funeral home that doubles as our morgue. He asked that we bring the other parts by once we found them, and they'd start trying to identify the victim. I would also check in with the other campers to find out if someone was missing and perhaps any information about what they'd done or where they'd gone. Then Sabota would come back with some paperwork about a wild animal attack, and that'd be it. If I did this right, none of the other campers would even know something had happened. We found most of the body parts by midday. They'd been left deliberately, placed so that someone actively searching for them could find them. But the casual passerby was unlikely to notice. The head was all that was left. Unfortunately, the head was found while Sheriff Sabota was in my office. He'd returned to drop off some paperwork and check up on the status of the missing limbs. 
The walkie-talkie on my desk crackled, and we both stared at it as Brian's voice came across the radio. He sounded unnerved, even beneath the static. I... uh, I found the head. Great. Bag it and bring it up with the rest of the parts. Sheriff Sabota is here, and uh, he can take it with them. I gave the sheriff a thin smile as he glowered at me. Uh, no. I think you need to come see this. Is something wrong? Yes. Very. I think the dancers really had it out for this guy. Okay, keep the campers away from the area. I'll be there soon. It wasn't like Brian to be rattled about anything. He'd been on the campground for a long time. I eyed the radio and then stood abruptly. Excuse me, I need to deal with this. How about I go with you? Sure, why not? It's about time you got some first-hand experience with what my family has to protect the town from. Considering someone is dead, I'd say you're not doing a very good job at it. My campground doesn't just provide for the town economically. Without us, these inhuman creatures would scatter in search of shelter, seeking out other parcels of land that could sustain them. They would prey on the townsfolk. It's happened before. I'm not the only person around here orphaned by these creatures. We met Brian on the road. Here. Over here. It's just up the slope a bit. He moved closer to me as I got off the four-wheeler. Did you have to bring the sheriff? He insisted. I don't think it's a good idea if he sees what's up here. (laughs) Too late for that now. Hey, maybe we'll get lucky and it'll scare him off for a while. Are we going? Brian grimaced at the sheriff's impatient call. He took us into the woods, up a small slope to where a thin strip of undergrowth protected a clear patch in the woods, hardly large enough to call a clearing, just a hollow where the earth sunk into a shallow bowl. The ground was still spongy from last week's rain. In the middle of this area was the head, resting at the top of a stake. Four more stakes were stabbed into the earth in a circle around it. Well, this isn't so bad after all. It's a head on a stake, Kate. I think that's quite bad. Relatively speaking, though, there's something that looks odd about this. Hang on, let me check something. I pulled out my compass and checked their orientation. They sat askew from the cardinal directions. I frowned. This was a deliberate perversion. I edged closer, peering at the head. My skin crawled and I felt goosebumps break out on my arms as I crossed the perimeter of the circle. A middle-aged man, perhaps in his forties. His jaw was missing, leaving behind the upper row of teeth, and his eyes were wide with silent suffering. He blinked. I swore and stumbled backwards. Something wrong? He's still alive. I heard the sheriff unholster his gun behind me. That won't help. Besides, a gunshot will panic the campers. Well, we wouldn't want that. Don't want to endanger your income by putting some poor soul out of their misery. I ignored him and took a slow, deep breath to steady my nerves. Perhaps watching my parents die, a silent observer in a dream that felt like reality, had prepared me to withstand this sort of horror. I confess that it angers me to see someone die in a manner that no one should have to endure, but I've long since accepted that this is life. My world no longer has room for the blissful illusion that humanity has no predators. Hey, hey, it's gonna be okay. I'll figure this out. The man on the stake couldn't reply, but his eyes tracked on my face as I spoke. 
A couple tears ran down his cheeks, and I saw relief in his eyes. I wish you could tell me why they did this. I've never been able to figure out why some people they invite in and others they murder. Maybe if I knew more, I could keep people safe better. I frowned. This was clearly a ritual, but altered to be just a little bit off from typical symbolism. I wondered what would happen if I corrected it. It was honestly just a guess, but a lot of what I do is guessing. I went to the stakes and pulled them free from the ground. After I wrenched the last from the earth, I got my compass out again and found north. Then I went around in a circle, repositioning the stakes so that they stood according to the cardinal directions. When it was done, I returned to the victim's head. I stood and watched his face. His eyes remained open, long past when he should have blinked, and I was satisfied that whatever ritual bound him here had been disrupted. The air felt different as well. Lighter. It no longer pressed on me. That's it? Symbolism is important. The stakes were arranged so that they were slightly off from the natural order, and so the natural order was disrupted within them. I set it right, and death returned to functioning as normal. In my office are file cabinets filled with the notes and journals of prior generations. They aren't as complete as I'd like, but I've learned a lot from them about how this land and the creatures on it function. A lot of it's just theory, but I certainly wasn't going to let the sheriff know I was guessing. It's a shame all your know-how seems to only be useful after someone is dead. Well, maybe if people would read the pamphlet, that wouldn't be the case and we wouldn't be here talking right now. Wouldn't that be nice? The not talking to you part especially. He stepped past me and saw to the gruesome task of removing the head. It'd been on the stake long enough that the blood had drained out, so there at least wasn't a mess. Then the sheriff turned back to me. The head tucked under his arm like a football, and his brow was furrowed in anger. Just the sight of him, spoiling for a fight, was enough to make my own temper flare. I squared my shoulders and stared him dead in the eye. My father was the diplomatic one. I take after my mother. Now look here. Maybe you've done the numbers and think it's fine to lose a camper or two every year, but I've had quite enough. I'm sick of cleaning up your messes. I can't help it if people do something stupid. There are rules. If this person had just followed the rules and listened to my warning, everything would have been fine. That seems to be working out real well. Maybe you need to stop sitting comfortably in your office and get out here and dealing with these things. <laughs> Humans don't kill monsters. They're predators, and we're the prey. Can't be done. Then what good is the campground, other than as a feeding grounds? Fine. Propose we shut the campground down, see how well that goes over. Don't think we need to do that. Just think maybe, well, maybe we need a new manager. I felt my blood run cold and then hot again, boiling. I clenched my hands into fists. This is my campground. It belonged to my parents and my grandparents before them and on and on. I've been entrusted with it. I was raised to do this. Do you have any idea what it takes to do this job? Of course you don't. You just stay out there where it's safe, sleeping soundly night after night because all these creatures that prey on us are here instead of out there. So don't come sauntering out here telling me how to run my land. I don't care what you do, so long as the deaths stop. It's the start of the camping season. If I get called out here again for another body, I'm gonna stop covering up for you. I'll instruct the officers to do the same. 
It'll be tough to run the campground when you're in jail. The town won't support that. The police won't go along. I'm willing to call a town meeting to discuss this. I don't think it'll go as well as you'd like. A lot of people around here don't like you, Kate. A lot of people don't like your family. It took all my self-restraint to not retort. I watched him go, seething. As dismissive as my words had been, there wasn't a lot of weight behind them. The town didn't like my family. We had a history there. They resented us for the influence we had over the area, and there were quieter whispers that our proximity to these evil things had infected us, that we tolerated them, permitted them to prey on our campers. I did not doubt that the sheriff was listening to those whispers. I had to do something to stave this off. Before he had a reason he needed to call a town meeting, I had to figure out how to drive off the dancers. I first learned about the dancers shortly after I took over management of the campground. I was 21. My family was vaguely aware of their existence, but hadn't had any close encounters with them. At least, none that they wrote about in the family records. I was freshly armed with three quarters of a business degree and determined to do things differently. So I was looking for information on these things on my land, how to avoid them, and how to survive them. When the dancers first showed up, my uncle went to drive them off thinking they were just a group of rowdy party-goers trespassing during our closed season. Mercifully, they didn't kill him. But he's always been reluctant to speak of what happened. Don't look at the musicians, he'll just say, shaking his head. Don't look at the musicians. Considering my uncle loves to tell stories, it's highly unusual for him to be so concise with his warning. I went to them myself when I first began to write the rules of how to survive camping— I needed more information, and if they were willing to spare my uncle, then perhaps they'd be willing to talk to me. Sometimes these creatures just want to be left alone, and if I knew what angered them, then I could warn people about it. I drove about on my four-wheeler, searching for campfires. There were many, but the later it got, the fewer remained to check. Finally, after midnight, I found the dancers. They moved in a slow, sinuous circle. Their movements were languid, the music slow, their shadows stretching out into the darkness beyond the orange glow of the campfire. I killed the engine and walked down through the thin line of trees to the clearing. The music stopped as I approached. The dancers turned to stare at me, and while I couldn't see their faces, I felt their hostility. A woman stepped out to meet me. She was short, I noticed, not even my height. She stood out from among the other dancers, who were tall and lean, and I wondered if there was a reason for that, or if it was mere coincidence. You should go. You aren't welcome. I figured as much. I'm not ready to leave yet, though. Her hands snapped up. She grabbed me by the neck, raising her arm up, her fingers digging into my tendons. What are you trying to do here? I stood on tiptoes, trying to ease the pressure on my throat. Finding out what prompts you to kill people... Her eyes went wide. She stared at me incredulously for a moment, then let go of my neck. I stumbled backwards, coughing. She laughed, a high, delicate sound, like the chime of a bell. You take advantage of your position as camp manager. I like your boldness. I will tell you. We welcome people in. Those who we do not permit to join us, we may kill for disturbing us. 
Yes. Even if they leave? Depends on whether there's someone we want to kill or not. And what makes you want to kill someone? When we feel like it. Well, that's helpful. The other events that merit someone's death. Well, I believe you've already been told about it. She smiled as she said this, and my stomach nodded with fear. Involuntarily, my eyes slid over to the dark forms hunched at the edge of the fire, hoods drawn up over their heads to hide their faces in shadow. My heart hammered in my chest, and I hastily ripped my eyes away and stared resolutely at the ground. Very good. I'm glad you understand. Thank you for your time. I'll make sure to relay all of this to my campers so you aren't needlessly disturbed. Go ahead. See if it helps. Knowing what displeases us won't be enough to keep people from resisting the temptation of joining in our dance. She turned and walked away, and I hastily left, not wanting to push my luck any further. Unfortunately, she was right. A warning was never enough. After I started sending out the pamphlets, I had a camper that survived an encounter with them stop by my office to tell me what happened to him. I try not to interact with our campers much. Too many petty complaints about the solar showers being cold on cloudy days or the flushable toilets being too far of a walk. This person, however, was happy to tell me about how he'd gone up to the dancers, hoping to join the party, and they'd welcomed him in. He danced and drank with them all night, and it was the happiest he remembered being in a long time. He felt renewed. His words triggered a memory of something I'd read. Dancing is used as a cure for supernatural afflictions in some cultures. The sick individual is sat down in the middle of a circle and the dancers move in a circle around them, thereby banishing their illness. Yet something felt wrong about their rituals. From the off-center placement of the stakes to my uncle's dire warning about the musicians, were they a group of dancers that had been cursed? Were they demons enacting their own abhorrent version of the same ritual? Without being certain, I didn't dare try to drive them off. I wrote them into my rules. We already spray-painted the poison ivy patches fluorescent pink. Telling people to stay away from the dancers wouldn't be too dissimilar in theory. Clearly, it hadn't worked. And now Sheriff Sabota was using it as a reason to cause problems for me. I don't understand his vendetta. Did I beat him up in middle school? I can't recall. I decided to try a couple things to ward off the dancers. I didn't have a firm idea of what they were, even with my knowledge about dancing as a cure for illnesses. Folklore isn't a tidy thing. Monsters and creatures of power don't fall neatly into categories. It's not so different from the natural world in this regard. We can look at a bird and know it's a bird. But what kind of bird is it? Bird of prey or water bird or woodpecker or pigeon or any of the many, many other types? It takes close observation to understand what a creature is and what its habits are. But doing so within human things can be deadly. I had some ideas. The use of ritual made me suspect fairies, but the perversion of it also made me think spirits. I gathered up some deterrents from the shed. Iron stakes, hawthorn branches, stones with holes in them, that sort of thing. Then I went about the campsite and left them in strategic areas, mostly at crossroads and along the edge of the designated camping areas. As I returned to my house, I noticed a camper standing at the edge of the forest and staring at me. 
She was nowhere near the road, and she was dressed improperly for the weather. It was early spring and still cool, but she wore shorts, a crop top, and no shoes. She carried a branch in one hand, and while I wasn't close enough to tell, it might have been Hawthorne. When she realized I was looking at her, she turned and slipped back into the woods. A shiver ran down my back. I felt like I'd just made a horrible mistake. That night, I was woken by the sound of someone's voice outside my bedroom window. I didn't catch the words, for I came to awareness at the end of the conversation. Someone was talking to the little girl that cries outside my window. That made me sit up straight in my bed. Who or what would talk to the little girl? Her weeping stopped. There was the sound of her feet running in the grass, away from the house. Someone or something had sent the girl away. My heart began to hammer in my chest, and I quietly slipped out of bed, thinking of the shotgun I keep in the bedroom, wondering if it'd do anything at all. Then my house shook as something slammed against my front door and my back door in unison. A pause. Another impact that rattled the doors in their frames. A third, final impact and the crack and crash of both doors being torn off their hinges. I stumbled out of bed, blind with fear, thinking of how my father died. How he'd clawed with his bare hands at the beast's face as if he could fight it off even as its teeth severed his body into two. My hand closed over the shotgun stock as footsteps echoed down the hallway. I stood, turned, and there was a hand against the shotgun's barrel, pushing it up and away, and then another palm against my cheek. That's enough. How about you go for a walk with us? I don't remember much after that. I left the house, and I think I told them I couldn't, not without the beast coming for me, and she'd laughed and said they'd sent it away. I'm not sure how many others were with us. Only the woman spoke to me. We walked out into the forest, and I'm not certain of the route we took, for it comes and goes as if I were slipping in and out of sleep. When my awareness returned, I found myself standing beside a lit campfire, in among a ring of people around it. The ground around me was packed earth. The woman moved from person to person, a ceramic pitcher in her arms. She slipped a cupped hand inside and came up with a handful of water, which she dribbled on the brow of the person before her. Something felt wrong about this ritual, unsettling. I tried to move or speak, but I found my body was slow to respond to my desires. Finally, she stopped in front of me. Why don't you join us? She poured the water on my brow. It ran down my face and neck and into the neckline of my nightgown. It felt gritty, and I tasted salt when a drop touched the edge of my lip. They began to dance, and I was compelled to join them. Step, turn, stretch our hands to the night sky, spines arched, twist and bend, touch the ground, then up, a hop, and then the music quickened. I saw as we spun that the music came from a hunched group at the edge of the light, a violin, a hand drum, something that reminded me of a flute. I duly remembered my uncle's warning and tore my gaze away. We danced. My legs began to ache. My breathing grew labored. Bright pain stabbed through my feet and ankles, and I thought madly that I felt liquid against my bare feet with every step. Still, the dancers continued. 
their movements growing more aggressive, more frenzied, and I wept and pleaded in broken, panicked fragments for them to release me. They did not. I collapsed before the music stopped. My chest heaved in spastic gasps, racking my entire body with convulsions as it instinctively tried to bring in more oxygen to my battered body. My feet burned, pain shooting up my legs with every beat of my heart. I lay there, writhing in the dirt, whimpering and openly weeping. The dancers clustered around my prone form. One of them crouched, and I felt fingers in my hair, close to the roots, and she lifted my head from the ground so that I was forced to look up at her. The firelight was to her back, and I could only see her chin and lips in the flickering light. The little girl and the beast have laid claim to your life. None of us will contest their right. However, there is still so much we can do to you before you succumb. She smiled, and her teeth shone like pearls in the firelight. She leaned in close, and I felt her breath against my ear. Her body smelled of earth and plants. Don't try to drive us off again. She grabbed hold of my hair. Every muscle in me trembled. My mind rebelled at what was happening, but I was helpless to stop her. She forced me to look at the musicians. They raised their heads and looked back at me. My next memory is of being prone on my stomach, my fingernails stained with blood, the skin around my eyes and down my cheeks burning from where I'd clawed it raw. The dancers were gone, and mercifully, they'd taken the musicians as well. I'm not sure how long I lay there shuddering on the ground. It was one of my staff members that found me. I heard his footsteps approaching at a run, and then he hit the ground next to me, turning me over onto my back. A flashlight shone in my face, and I squeezed my eyes shut tight. I hate this job sometimes. Almost as much as I hate the sheriff. I told you earlier about the bear in the woods. The moments of regret immediately afterwards... I hate those stories. I hate the false confidence, and I hate the way the world doesn't care about what you do or what precautions you take. I can't stop people from risking the dancers. And sometimes it works out. Sometimes the bear lumbers off after easier prey. Or sometimes it doesn't. And the dancers decide that even if you leave, that isn't enough. The ones that regret their decision never get to tell their story. It's just me telling you about what remains. Goat Valley Campgrounds was written and adapted for audio by Bonnie Quinn. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. Starring Lindsay Russo as Kate, Kyle Akers as Brian, Mary Murphy as The Dancer, and David Cummings as Sheriff Sabota. Join us next week for Chapter 3 of Goat Valley Campgrounds.
This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media, Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media, Inc. The copyright for Goat Valley Campgrounds is held by Bonnie Quinn.